and welcome to the Sports Loft Podcast. Great to have you back with us. Today we're talking about how startups at the intersection of sports and media approach building a B2B brand. And to do so, we've got two fantastic guests. Uh, before we get to them, just a quick uh, introduction. Uh, please sign up for our newsletter, which you can find at sportsloft.co on our website. Uh, and if you like what you hear, please uh, follow us wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review. We'd also like to thank our Sportsloft partners, talent partner SRI, for facilitating all of the content that we bring to you. And with that all said, let's dive into our Sportsloft podcast today about building a B2B brand. We've got two heavyweights with us, uh, and we're very excited to be speaking to uh, Betty Tran from FIVO and also Tom Kerr from Greenfly, two uh, stable members of Sportsloft. I will uh, open the floor first and introduce uh, Betty. Betty, you uh, have been brought on board to rebrand and position FIVO uh, in, uh, in its next iteration. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm Betty Tran for FIVO. I'm the CMO and also the CCO, which is the Chief Customer Officer. So my I would say my day-to-day -day as a CMO is to define FIVO's voice and amplify it across our product, um, outbound marketing and partner and consumer messaging. I would say as part of the, the newly created CCO role is to oversee the, the customer experience across product fulfillment and um, customer support. So my day-to-day -day is kind of crazy. A little bit it's a, it's a little bit of everything it's a whole lot of slack i would say <laughs> absolutely uh well great to have you with us uh, in the sports law podcast and uh tom kerr from greenfly cmo of greenfly please uh tell us a little bit about yourself and what greenfly uh does so i'm tom and i'm the, the head of marketing for greenfly greenfly manages uh non-live digital media flow. So just like uh, there are a lot of technologies for broadcasters to get um, live video to from a game to a broadcaster, uh, we're doing the same thing for things that are destined for social media. So we help organizations gather photos and videos, organize them and get them to their partners, their broadcasters, their sponsors, their athletes, um, different departments, so it's very much a, a non-live media distribution platform. So what I do, I'm a, a sales-oriented marketer and uh, really try and make sure that everything we're doing is focused on bringing the right customers to the table, explaining this value proposition to them because it's a new, very new thing, and um, ensuring that they are really using it to the, to the maximum potential. So a lot of uh, making sure that we're helping them achieve their goals and really something we found in the last, I want to say year or so is we can actually help them make more money uh, through non-live digital media. So this is fascinating because both of you are in um, uh, uh, startup companies that are speaking to the sports industry about providing a technology and a service that either amplifies their fan base or uh, uh, provides them more revenue opportunities. So the first question, I guess, to kick off is why does a company like yours need a brand? 
and what does brand mean to you in that context? Because you're speaking to uh, uh, businesses as opposed to uh, the wider consumer base. So, Betty, I'll, I'll start with you. Why, why does Fivo need a brand and, and what does that brand mean to you? I should probably start with what is Fivo? I did not answer that question. <laughs> um, I did not answer that question. So I would say, for those who know, don't know Fivo, Fivo lets friends shop together and we've branded it as the, the friend powered card. So essentially it's a social commerce technology that allows friends to bring their friends into the online shopping journey uh, where they can kind of gather, plan, purchase together right on your brand site. And so what happens is it leads, um, it adds up to more shoppers and more fun, more money, more sales. Um, in regards to the importance of brand, I think that, look, we've built an incredible team since, since day one with the roots in predominantly ticketing, ticketing companies and sports sales. Um, we've been able to see the success. And so, you know, when I came on board, which it was two years ago, the company had been around a couple of years and hyper-focused on revenue and bringing on clients and proving that the product was valuable, right? then brand became important because then we could tell the story. So one, we validated that the product worked. We onboarded a ton of clients. At that point, it was around probably 400 partners. And then brand became important. And brand essentially is the story we tell about our product, um, whether it's a visual, whether it's through words, and, and that's kind of the evolution of where Fivo is at today. And Tom, for you, for you guys, as you're selling the, uh, the, the platform, how important is it for that brand to be consistent and to be something developed and to have everybody singing from the same hymn sheet? The brand is extremely important for scaling. So as a startup, first 10 customers, 15, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe 20 customers, you don't need a brand. You just need a company name. But to scale beyond that, to give um, the, the picture of what you do to more people through word of mouth reference, through any sort of uh, traditional marketing, digital marketing, you need to start having a promise. What are you going to deliver at the end of the day? And to me, a brand is really that customer promise. We're here to help you with X and we're really good at it. We're, we're well known for these attributes. And so for, for me, the brand is the, I guess the part of the air cover that we give the sales team. It, it helps amplify, it helps reinforce that message and it helps other people get a clear picture of you when you are not having a direct conversation. So help paint the picture then as, as, the, as the folks who are responsible for marketing in a B2B brand, what is the day-to-day -day look like? What are, the, what are the things that you wrestle with uh, and what are the key things that you need to achieve the KPIs that you have set yourself in order to uh, make a successful brand? Betty? The day-to-day, -day, I mean, I think it changes. Uh, Tom could probably relate to this. It, it changes every day. You know, the, 
It's always like the value prop. What are we providing to customers? What's our value prop to our customers? What is the story that we're telling? It's, it's, it varies day to day. I would say we have a small, nimble team, right? And so we're constantly working on what's our outbound messaging on social? What's our direct communication with our clients? Um, how, to, how do we get our clients to use the platform more and then see that they will generate more revenue using the platform? I think that you know, every day is a every day is a different challenge. Sometimes it's like we have to make a pitch deck. Sometimes it's we have to update the website. Sometimes it's the, what content are we pushing out. Sometimes it's like it's being reactive. On for example, we did the um, Costco webinar yesterday. So today it's about editing the videos as quickly as possible, getting them up online. How do you capitalize on that moment? What email blast do you send out? Things like that. So it changes. It's always an adventure in a startup. Toby, who's editing this uh, this podcast, feels your pain. He's got a deadline of tomorrow with the Sportsloft newsletter, so he knows exactly what you're uh, what you're talking about. At what point do you feel like uh, the, the company uh, became aware that brand was important and needed an investment? You know, Tom, you mentioned that at the beginning you need to be, you know, you're, you're just you're just a, a company name, but at what stage did that focus become necessary? And how did you go about building those first steps? What were the first things that needed to happen uh, in order to build a, build a brand and make it make get the continuity? I think the company first became aware that they needed to build more of a brand when they actually uh, started looking for a head of marketing, um, which was about two years ago um, right. in, in our case. And until then, it, it was, again, very sales driven. But to, mm -hmm. to get the message out to more people, to educate more people, to bring more people into this, this new way of thinking, it's really hard to do on a one-to-one -one basis, right? That's a lot of outreach. That's a lot of conversation. So how do you take that, that message and amplify it? How do you get it to more people in smaller bits so it's more consumable? Um, and when I joined, we really didn't have a, a cohesive brand. We didn't have a brand story. We were a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And being able to synthesize uh, a clear narrative out of that while still leaving, you know, we have a pretty, pretty technologically advanced platform. So we can't talk about every function and feature. How do you bring that to another level? But next level is, you know, part of the messaging period, which is pyramid, which is benefits. And then how do you bring it from the benefits to an overall value proposition? And then from there, at the top of the pyramid is really this customer promise. What is the company going to deliver at the end of the day? What are they, what are they known for? So we've been building from the foundation up, just like the Egyptians built the pyramids with a lot of rock at the bottom, uh, different layers of this messaging. And one of the things in a startup is you find that some things resonate better than others and some things resonate better with some customers than others. So a lot of it is testing and optimization and getting feedback from the sales team and getting feedback from the customer success team and trying to continuously build this pyramid as you're, you're hearing these different things. It's like you can have a great plan and a great architecture, but if all of a sudden, you know, the, the foundation's leaning one way, you've got to go prop it up.
Absolutely. And Betty, what, what were the first things that you focused in on and zeroed in on when you joined FIVO? Sort of give us an idea of what those key, uh, key performance indicators were for you in terms of starting, starting the journey. It was definitely the website and it was definitely um, the sales materials because for predominantly for us, marketing is B to B to C a little bit. So more ways, ways more B to B right now, but it was definitely the website. Cause that's kind of your brand. If you're not present on social, like obviously you have the handles and they sit there because you're going to activate them at some point, but it's very much the website. And then I would say LinkedIn and simultaneously all of the, even your training materials, when you're onboarding clients, that that's huge marketing because it's your voice, it's your tone, it's how do you want to educate your clients? So I would say more operational stuff than uh, per se marketing, but I would say those were the top three things when I came in that we had to focus on. And then a little bit of the fourth was supporting the sales team with um, marketing client services that go beyond what the sales team can handle. So uh, strategizing on your marketing plan, what, you know, some of the mundane stuff like placing pixels, retargeting campaigns and, and things. Oh, I love pixels. The more pixels, the better. Pixels, tons of pixels, tons of pixels. <laughs> retargeting Google tag manager. It, it was quite a bit of uh, it was quite a bit of that in the, in the beginning when we first started. Ex ex explain pixels actually for, for a, a lot of people listening to this may not be um, uh, uh, steeped in marketing language. Explain what pixels are and why they're important, especially in, in uh, following on and retargeting campaigns. My head of digital will probably kill me for this answer, but because <laughs> she is front lines dealing with all of this stuff. But essentially, if, if a client wants to, and they all do, they have marketing campaigns and they're all spending in digital. So they're spending in either on your basic, I would say, checklist. It's probably Facebook, Google, retargeting. We use AdRoll as our retargeting platform. But um, retarget retargeting essentially is I see an ad or I go to your web page or I go somewhere and I see it, I don't necessarily convert. And now when I'm going throughout the internet, I'm being creeped on by an ad, probably like eight, nine times to encourage me to buy the thing that I didn't buy originally. Um, and there usually there's various uh, ways of all that digital marketing and you know, I know to an extent um, what to do, but I really had to hire like an expert in a team and she's amazing. And, and she deals with all of our, all of our partners. So um, when she joined, when she joined, yes, yeah, she was dealing with hundreds of pixels and ad campaigns and just making sure clients, you know, when they use FIVO at the checkout, that they have some metrics that they can say, okay, FIVO helps us convert we notice people are checking out here. Is it the creative? Um, so essentially that that's how that digital, the digital marketing works. And you touched on something that was really interesting to me uh, just a little bit before where you talked about creating a tone of voice and an approach, right? And, you know, you see, you, you see a lot of um, 
B2C brands um, and, and a lot of companies generally, you know, taking the approach of our tone of voice is playful and it's fun and aren't we a fun company and we want to engage with people on social and, you know, uh, play around. But does that differ for a B2B brand? You guys are dealing with businesses and there's a, you know, there's got to be a certain level of professionalism. Tom, like, how, how do you guys approach that positioning tone of voice uh, um, aspect of, the, uh, of marketing a B2B brand? We have a voice and style document that actually describes how all of our departments should be speaking to the outside world. And we try and, um, you know, that, that required about three months of discussion to really narrow in on, you know, who we are. Because as a business, you want, to, you want a consistent message. And that's also part of building a brand. But you want to talk about that message in a consistent way. Um, because that's how people start to expect that you're going to behave. So it's um, the the document's really hard to read for a you know normal person, but for a writer, uh, if we were going to hire someone to write a blog post for us, we would want them to read this style guide so that they would not require us to re-edit their piece about a thousand times to make it the, the right tone of voice. Um, in Greenfly's case, we, we, we're moving into a new, a new place. So we're, we're really consultative. So that's part of our, our tone of voice. We want to not talk down to people. We want to help educate. So a lot of it's coming from a, a mentor or coach perspective. We're still, as B2B gets closer to B2C, um, people buying business technology want it to be as easy to use as consumer technology. So... Part of that is uh, also making it so that we're helping them do their job better. We're helping them with ease of learning. We're helping them with onboarding their team. Um, all of that should be, you know, not serious and a, a pain in the butt. It should be really uh, uplifting and positive, right? So the vo our voice is also uplifting and positive at the same time. You can do this. It's something new. You can bring it to your company, and you, as a as an employee as part of the staff are going to get recognized for your forward thinking. Um, so a lot of it is just staying in line with that sort of that brand promise, mm. that messaging. And uh, when, when you're pushing that brand promise and that brand message out there, you know, we've talked about tone of voice. We've talked about using social, uh, but I'm, I'm fascinated about whether you have very key people that you want to reach and you're, you're very focused on that in terms of supporting the sales team like you talked about and getting that message to them? Or is there value also in promoting the brand widely, Betty? How do you uh, go about thinking about using those um, digital platforms and social platforms and how you create the content and whom you're targeting? How, how, how do you frame that in the right way when your target audience is so specific? funny we're going through that right now so i would say hyper focused on b2b um eventually i would say sometime next year it'll go wide to consumers right because you have to have your partners we have about 600 partners right and those are the guys that are quote unquote our marketing right now those are the guys using the platform those are the guys validating fivo and why they use fivo right i think from a consumer standpoint they right now are just basically they they get the email receipt and they're like i got a ticket 
to this game or I bought this item through this through this um, retailer and they're trying to find information on us. So that's why the website becomes key. On social, it'll be, it's a little trickier on social, right? One, it's um, if you're a B2B brand, how do you position yourself to a consumer? I think those are all things that we're, we're considering now, but it's hyper-focused on B2B and then we'll go wide B2C because eventually you almost want to be like Venmo, right? Like Venmo is now a verb. So if you think about it, like, yep. Venmo is a, was a B2B brand to see. They were acquired by PayPal. But when you think of Venmo, it's a one-to-one transaction. Hey, like, I'm going to Venmo you. But, you know, eventually where we want to take Fivo is a similar path where Fivo, the word, is ingrained in, like, cultural, cultural moments because we bring people together. Even in focused on just focusing on B2B, um, we find that there are five to 10 people that are part of a buying committee. So because our, the price point of our product is not, you know, pocket change, um, there's gotta be a budget allocation. Budget has to come from somewhere. And so usually we have to talk to someone in the marketing department, someone in the athlete relations department, someone in the broadcast or creative department, uh, as well as a commercial director, commercial manager, some more sponsorship manager. So, the primary buyer might be the head of commercial because he's saying, Hey, we're going to make money off of this. We need to implement it. But everyone else has a, uh, I guess a skin in the game in that decision. So if any one of those people is a blocker or if they don't like it, or they feel like it's going to make them lose staff or lose credibility or, you know, change their job in a negative way, that's a problem for us. Right? So our job, from a marketing perspective is to talk to as many of those people as possible within the organization. From a sales perspective, it becomes narrower, which is I need to find the person who owns the budget and convince them sort of lead with the tip of the spear. I'm also going to have to talk to a few other people who are their, you know, close confidants, but the more people that know about green flight in an organization, the easier the sale is at the end of the day, because more people are on board with that, the concept. Just more awareness is is better. And give me an idea of how big your marketing teams are internally. Uh, how many people do you have? And the reason that I ask is, do you would you say that it's similar to a traditional B two C uh, branding skill set uh, and and marketing skill set, or do you need other skill sets or abilities or understandings in order to do more B2B marketing in sort of support and pushing a sales function? Uh, how, how do you view that, Betty? Depends what you define as marketing. So some different marketing, marketing is such a, like a catch all department too. So you have like digital and email and content and sometimes creative and products, I would say. For us, we have a pretty nimble team um, of Mike who heads all of our content and all these little key points and brand um, words that I've used has all come from his brain and his strategic mind. Um, I have someone on product marketing who works, bridges the gap between um, the product and sales and marketing and, and makes sure that we're aligned on, on um, product features, how we need to mass market that stuff. 
Lillian Digital, Julia DTC, probably like four, five people. It's pretty, pretty nimble. And then um, we have some designers as well. So mm-hmm. um, a- as the company scales and grows, marketing grows with it. But yeah, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty nimble team. We are, we are small, but mighty. So um, the, diff- the one of the biggest differences between a B2B and B2C company is B2B is going to, if you say, look, 20% of your revenue should be sent, spent on sales and marketing as a, you know, a budget category. Most of that's actually on sales on B2B. It's not marketing. So marketing gets a relatively small percentage in a B2C company. Marketing gets all of that money. So the budget yes. size is a lot different. If you take a look at um, mm. our particular department, I've got three full-time people. So someone in charge of content and our uh, written message. We have someone in charge of digital campaigns for all of our campaigns and events. And then I've got a marketing automation and revenue operations person who instruments everything as mu- and automates as much as we possibly can tracking these pixels all the way through the system um, and making sure that our salespeople are getting uh, notified when someone's showing interest, right? That's really the, the key there. Um, we're also working directly with our, I guess we're managing our uh, sales development team as well. So they're doing outbound calling. They're saying, hey, looks like you're interested in this. Can we talk about it? What are some of your goals for this year? Does making more money make sense for you? Um, you know, simple questions like that. So um, we have a great effect where we're, we use a few outsource providers. So that's one of the, the tricks that I've learned along the way is you don't need to hire a full-time person to do a job. So we have a PR agency that we work with. We have a design agency that we work with, um, a few other uh, consultants. So it uh, it helps save money because none of these, well, those roles could all turn into full-time roles, but as you're choosing the battles that you fight, you really want your, your full-time highly paid people to be uh, used every day, all the time. And, and that's where we are. And so talk to us about the, the, the fit between product and marketing. Um, you know, obviously you guys are both tech companies. You, develop tech products that are then uh, sold for services to, uh, uh, to, to the sports and media industry. Um, how is that interaction? Do you, uh, do you get told that um, new product is coming out? You need to market it. You need to promote it. You need to help the sales team sell it. Uh, is there an interaction the other way where customers provide feedback? Is it somewhere in between? What's that dynamic like? Betty, how, how do you guys do it at Fivo? Somewhere in between. So we ba- we have a demo, a weekly demo, where we kind of see the progress of the product. Um, essentially, the way it works is product demos to us, but we also give feedback from the field. So we'll, we'll, we have a Slack channel, or Jira, where we put input all of that stuff. <laughs> we give them feedback. They take the feedback. They incorporate it. We have a demo, um, and it's like, thumbs up, feedback, et cetera. Um, And that's predominantly how we do it. They basically roll things out as beta. We monitor it. We see, we kind of work with the clients. 
then while beta is happening, we will put a plan together for a wide messaging once we figure out what the bugs and things like that are. And every tech company, when you roll things out, there's going to be bugs. And so we definitely always uh, beta test with like certain key, key clients who we've worked with for a long time to test things. Um, and then we'll message wide once we feel comfortable. We have uh... Uh, again, it's a back and forth. It's a conversation. So if it is a customer suggestion, uh, we have someone who works in a pretty product marketing role in our customer success team. And he's, he's gathering all of the product requests from our customers, funneling them into our product department. He's also letting everyone else know what those requests are. Product department says, hey, this is something that we can build in short term, long term, or medium term. And then we also have big initiatives that are strategic. So we've heard this from multiple customers. It's not a single customer request, but if we did X, it would make this whole chain reaction or workflow or uh, whatever whatever the thing is, easier, faster, stronger. We could sell more product because of it. We could get it deployed in more places. So a lot of it is a, um, I'm gonna stay a strategic decision. And those things usually take a lot longer. So we have a lot, a lot more time to prepare for a fun- feature function product launch that way. The smaller features we're not promoting as specifically, obviously we'll tell the customers when they come out, but we will put those in our customer newsletters. So they're not, uh, there's no specific marketing push to get people to use those. And Tom, Greenfly, well, actually, Fivo as well recently, and Betty will talk about it in a second, but Greenfly recently went through quite an extensive uh, or holistic rebrand. I mean, I guess a rebrand is always going to be extensive and holistic, right? Because it's it's a rebrand. But um, tell us sort of the, the, the thinking behind that. What were the kind of um, key outputs from it? And, and how has it performed or how has the reaction been so far? The rebrand really started when I joined the company. Um, It's just taken as a, as a small nimble marketing team, you can only do so much at at one time. So the culmination of the rebrand, probably the biggest uh, milestone was uh, putting out, pushing out a a redesigned rewritten website that really summarizes what uh, the different aspects of the product and how, how we're positioning it. Um, as well as really focusing in on different industries that we appeal to outside of sports and the benefits. Um, so again, taking that, hey, it does X, Y, and Z, but here's what that delivers to you at the end of the day. That's That was the most important part of, of the rebrand. So it's a re- summary of our positioning. We updated our colors because we had some color clashing and they didn't work really well on certain backgrounds. So there was some basic stuff like that, but actually didn't redo our logo or um, other visuals that way. So just, again, talking about the talking about the company in a natural way, based on the evolution of what we're learning and the market feedback we're getting. Um, So as a startup, you're actually rebranding all the time. It's just in very small ways. So the, the brand doesn't change very but the brand changes a lot or the brand doesn't change a lot let me say the messaging changes a lot so in the the messaging pyramid you're still always trying to find that that next new thing 
and ways to compare your, your product to things that people know, already know about, right? So basing a comparison on, oh, I know about X, so this is X plus two or X plus one or X plus Y is, I found the easiest way to, um, to talk about a new concept. So you're not talking about, you know, a future planet somewhere else. It's still based in, based on Earth and in reality. Betty, does that chime with you and what you guys did at FIVO? Yeah, brands always evolving. I can tell you that. It, 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 when you do, when you launch a rebrand, you're evolving it on a daily basis. You know, for us, we have to balance um, a variety of companies in sports, pro, minor, college, even outside of sports, music, and as we venture into new categories, right? So it, it's really, it's a balance when we rebranded, like what is going to be neutral across all categories. Color was very important. Website was very important. And you'll see, you'll see it evolve um, as we go. And you're, you are taking feedback from the field and you're listening to your consumers from a client perspective and, um, you know, a, a customer perspective, right? And, and how they view you. So yeah, brands always evolving. Even if you relaunch, you're still, you're probably relaunching a couple times a year. <laughs> That's what it feels like. It definitely feels that way. It feels like I'm always working on updating our, you know, corporate decks just to, to tweak the messaging a little always. bit or, hey, we've improved this diagram a little bit. So let's include that. So. I work a lot in PowerPoint. The company keeps moving, so you need to keep telling that story, right? It never stops. Yeah, uh, exactly. So I'm interested, both both companies are, um, uh, and, and uh, I talked a little bit about this with um, Daniel Kirshner, the CEO of Greenfly, who was uh, here in London um, last week. But both companies, uh, Greenfly has just raised a series uh, uh, of funding. Uh, FIBO, you guys raised and now are raising again. How, how does that conversation about rebranding go with investors? Do you find that investors sort of understand the value of a brand in the B2B world um, and, and, and see the value of spending that capital and, and building that out? Or is it more of a difficult sell? Uh, or do you get told by the CEO, listen, you need to do this, but you need to do this under this threshold because then no one's going to know. I mean, for us, Ari is... I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've spoken to Ari. He's amazing. Very crystal clear on his vision. Um, and that's why a lot of us came to FIVO. He was like, this is this is FIVO. This is the product. This is where I wanted to go. And a ton of us were sold in and investors too. I think um, Ari makes it really easy to understand the vision, the long-term goals. And he loves he loves branding, sees the value of it. And so it makes it, it makes it really easy for me to have that support. But um, I, I think he positions it so well that t taking all the things out of his head and putting it on paper, because he, he's just so charismatic in a room, I, I think he makes it really easy for people to understand. Yeah, from a fundraising perspective, you know, when you're talking to an investor, they don't want to hear that you're spending money on a rebrand. They want to hear that you're, the money is going to go into finding more customers and, and doing more on your uh, product development and being able to expand who, 
how many customers you can appeal to because you're building features and functions and keeping your customers happy. And they want to hear about revenue retention, right? As a SaaS company, it's really important for us to make our customers happy because we're constantly selling to them. We're constantly reinforcing our value. We're constantly saying, hey, you, you can't use anything else. You really need to rely on us. Um, that's, that's one of the really great things about SaaS is you're always selling, um, but that recurring revenue makes a huge difference in how quickly you can grow. Uh, so the rebrand is a, a necessary thing sometimes to do it in a major way that these small evolutions don't take a lot of time. We just kind of build them into our normal marketing processes, but redoing a website is a significant project and it takes time and it takes us away from the other things that we can be doing. So um, it, it it's noted, but it's not necessarily something that you're, you're bringing to the forefront of a, of a funding conversation. So just, just as we uh, start to wrap here, I want to ask each of you to think a little bit about uh, what, what would your advice be to uh, someone who's getting into uh, either Fivo or Greenfly uh, from a B2C brand? And do they need to think differently or do they need to, uh, uh, do they need to just apply the skill sets that they have in a different way? So... Uh, in other words, what are the things that you guys really enjoy about uh, about your your roles and your day to day, uh, and what are the things that you find are different to potentially previous experiences? Betty, I came from B two C predominantly in my career before coming to Fivo, and it wasn't necessarily a big transition because at the end of the day, marketing is selling something right you're selling a product you're and you're supporting the sales team so the mindset was just i'm dealing with like clients or sponsors versus like consumers um mm -hmm. who love who love a well-known brand so no i think like as a marketer what, what whatever your skill set is you're selling something so if you're selling something to clients or selling something to consumers i think it's the very similar skill set i think that if you're coming into FIBO, you know, we're, we're a fun group. We're a fun group. We work very, very hard in the entire company. And that's like the mantra of the company. I think it's, and which is why people have stayed with us for so long. I mean, it's work hard, play hard at, at FIBO. Mm -hmm. I would say that's like an internal mantra. Um, but yeah, as a marketer, I think like you can just come in and, and, and do your thing, whether it's B2B or B2C. It, it does have its like slight nuanced challenges, but at the end of the day, I think if you're a good marketer, you can do either side. I've worked in B2C for maybe 40% of my career. So definitely have a lot of background there, selling technology, selling apps. Um, the two things I find really different are the customer acquisition cost is vastly different where in B2C, you're trying to spend 20 cents, 50 cents, up to $5 to find a customer. In you know, an enterprise uh, B2B, you could spend $20,000 to find a customer at the extreme end, right? And that's still a good value. It's, it's really your ROI. So your, your CAC is vastly different when you think about all of the, the 
the length of time it could take to convert somebody, that's also a pretty big difference. So in a consumer world, you're trying to get someone to your website and buy immediately, you know, buy that session, which is a very short period of time. In B2B, it, you know, we've been talking to customers that have finally closed after two years. There's a long education process. There's a lot of interaction. There's a lot of building trust, building relationships within the company, finding that buying team, right? So it's a much more complicated sale. At the end of the day, you know, face, marketing on Facebook is marketing on Facebook, right? So the channels don't really change. You're still buying ads, but the perspective of how, how much and how long is, is quite different. So final, final question, um, and I think this is particularly interesting in the context of a B2B uh, uh, organization. Sales and marketing, we, we, we always talk about those, and different organizations structure them in different ways. Sometimes they're split, sometimes marketing is under sales, sometimes sales is under marketing, right? What, what's your guys' view about the optimum structure or what the best way to, to build that is? Hoping I'm not putting you into any political <laughs> or kind of hot water <laughs> with your organizations internally. For, yeah, for us, it's separate. And, and Josh is our chief business officer. He's like my brother. Um, we're, it, it's, it's separate. I think it's, it's definitely separate for a reason because marketers, if you have marketers reporting into sales, their goals are slightly different, right? There are very similar goals. Look, you're trying to get more customers, consumers, and things like that. But I think um, sales, they they go and get deals, and that, that's kind of their thing, whereas marketers have to be like, and not saying they're, they're not strategic, but we have to sit there behind the scenes um, and be a little more thoughtful and strategic and more, a little bit more on the execution side. So in organizations I've been in, they've always been separate for various reasons. I think that is the the optimal relationship. I think as a very small company, you could have marketing under sales because sales marketing becomes a sales support role. But having a like a, a sibling relationship, like you said, Betty, with the head of sales is really important. You have to get along. You're going to fight, but you really need to get along and really understand that marketing is going to be focused on a longer term, bigger picture yeah. brand perspective and really provide some of the tactical stuff that sales needs. And sales is quarter to quarter. We're, we're closing these customers. We need to do um, what we need to do this quarter, regardless of what marketing is helping us do with this sort of joint objective of, you know, that sales cycle has got to be shorter. We want to find more leads for our salespeople to keep them keep them busy so that they don't have to find their own leads. So there's definitely a lot of synergy, but the perspectives I think are, are pretty different from a time time perspective and strategy perspective. But brother, 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 sister, whatever that relationship is, you've got to get along together. You gotta have a sibling, sibling almost because you duke it out. You definitely, you definitely yeah. duke it out. But there's a, a mutual respect, you know, absolutely between the two departments. Well, it's like it's like it's like in a rights holder where you, you know the the marketing the marketing team always goes to the sales team saying you need to make more money so that we can do more marketing so we can get more fans so that you can make more money so that you can give me more marketing so we can get more fans. It's a beautiful sort of circle, right? Well. 
Thank you both very much, uh, Betty, Betty Tran from FIVO and Tom Kerr from Greenfly. A fantastic conversation. Um, for those who listened, if you like this, please uh, subscribe to our newsletter at sportsloft.co. Uh, follow us on social at sportsloft.hq and please make sure to give us a like and a follow wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again to our Thailand partner, SRI, for supporting all of our content. And again, a big thank you to Betty and Tom for joining us today in this fascinating conversation. Definitely subscribe to the to the Sports Sloft newsletter. That is a, an amazing newsletter. Yes, it is. I agree. It's awesome. A lot, a lot of really good stuff in there. Charlie, Toby, and the whole team do a fantastic job pulling together uh, some some great info. And everybody will be very pleased to know that I don't actually feature in that at all. So it's an added bonus. <laughs> it's it's Yanni free. Yanni free. Exactly. All right, guys. Thank you very much and have a wonderful afternoon. Bye.